Welcome to episode 212 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss Tommy Turbo, Brad Arthur, the fallout from the Rugby League World Cup postponement, and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 212 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? Week XVLI of the lockdown in Sydney. Oh, Dr. T, I am... Uh, I, I am- uh, enjoying it as much as I could, which means not enjoying it at all. But, um, you know, where are we looking at? I think, uh, do I have anything left on Amazon Prime that I really want to watch? Not really. Anything on Disney Plus? Probably not. Um, Netflix, what do they have out that's new? Oh, nothing really, Dr. T. So that's, yeah. So, yeah. So, regular league is all I've got now. Yeah. And that's fine by me. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, d- depend depends on the on the quality of game, of course. Of course, of course. And I think and I think uh, lately, uh, last few rounds, as we're getting closer to the finals, I feel like the the there are far few blowouts as what there were before. There are still the the odd, but uh, there seems to be a bit more uh, sort of fight amongst teams as they're all jockling, uh, you know. Jostling for position, is that the way you say it? Just jostling. Jostling, yeah. yeah jostling. For, for, yeah, that's right. And with only three rounds to go, we still have quite a number of teams still got plenty to play for before the end of the season. So that's going to be pretty exciting. And um, yeah, um, also like play movements, uh, retiring. We even have a brand new author in the world of rugby league, which is going to be incredible. But uh, I think I think we should just get straight into it. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. A lot of stuff to get through. So let's go into the six tackles. And here we go. Tackle number one, the news update. All right. So the first news item, uh, do you want to take this away? Something's happened to Cronulla's Andrew Fafita. Yeah, it's kind of um, yeah. I was I was a bit shocked when I heard this um, because there was obviously it was a great game that uh, everybody was uh, you know was sort of watching on the weekend between the Sharks and um, Newcastle. But you know, Cronulla's Andrew Fafita was actually admitted into intensive care after suffering a serious throat injury uh, after his NRL match on Sunday. Um, so he sustained the injury in the match against uh, uh, Newcastle. Um, the Sharks and Fafita had. You know, the Sharks said that Fafita had difficulty swallowing because swallowing because of his injury, um, and he started to panic and because he couldn't breathe properly. So when the ambulance got to the ground, they actually uh, induced him into a coma, and I believe he's still in a coma at the moment. Uh, while um, uh, medical specialists were were sort of uh, monitoring the situation, um, you know, over the last couple of days. So. Um, that's probably all I've got at the moment. I don't, I don't have the latest on how he's actually doing, but, you know, obviously, like, you know, we want to make 
sure that he is doing okay. Obviously, he's got uh, you know he's still a very young guy, uh, even though he's uh, towards the end of his career. And and let's hope that Andrew makes it through this. Um, probably means I mean with this type of situation, I don't think we will see him on the rugby league field again. Um, so it's probably uh, uh, causes wow. retirement. But uh, let, let's hope let's hope it's you know nothing more serious than that um, for Andrew. So what happened? Do do we was it? I, I missed the incident, but it was a was it a because um, I believe there was uh, potentially players were well not charged, but they were looked into as to what happened. Um, yep. And it was an, an accident, wasn't it? It was just a, a tackle gone wrong or by the Knights player. Uh, yeah, and they had a look. I believe they had a look at the the replay to see what was going on, whether there was any foul play or whatever. I think all the Knights players have been cleared, but so it sounds like it was just a, some sort of an accidental. Um, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think they did review the actual incident and um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on which player it was. So I don't really want to accuse anybody of doing it because obviously it was an accident, mm. but yeah, but, but it did, but he did. Uh, I think that he copped a blow to the throat Um Nothing malice or malicious about it, uh, but then throughout the game he was still he was still quite active, um, and it just happened uh, that he was deteriorating throughout the game. And then at the end of the game, that's when they had to call the ambulance because um, you know he he just was in all sorts and uh, he looked in a very bad way, wow. um, and there was a bit of panic happening as well. So they just decided to to sort of um, to you know to, to obviously take him. Uh, to the nearest medical facility, um, so he could start doing it. And obviously, inducing a coma on somebody is really a, a very major step. It's it's one of these life saving steps, right? So, um, yeah, so really, really quite unfortunate, unfortunate for Andrew. Yeah. And um, yeah, so look, I think I think obviously, well done to everybody for you know the paramedics for for for, for I suppose um, keeping him uh, alive so far. Um, uh, you know. I don't know if that's if there's any other nice way of saying it, but but that's no, no, they did the right thing. I mean, they they did what they need to do to kind of yeah, I guess slow down the blood flow enough so that they could then attend to him properly. And I attend think that's him, yeah. that's why they do that. So um, yeah, look, our our heart goes out to Andrew Fafita. Hopefully everything will be all right, and uh, hopefully he'll get looked after. I mean, the latest news that I'm seeing is that he's uh, uh, they would have potentially done some. Uh, not surgery, but they would have had some specialists looking at him. But we we don't know what what it, where it's up to at the moment. Unfortunately, all we know is it was a pretty dire situation on the weekend. So yeah. hopefully, um, they they are going to resolve it. It uh, looks like it's a kind of thing that is resolvable, and so um, hopefully, yeah, he's getting the care that he needs. And unfortunately, this this kind of time with you know um, COVID situation and and lockdowns happening all over the place, it's kind of um, yeah, you'd hope that uh, that there are enough resources in in the hospitals and for situations like this, and then not diverted to other things, um, as is often the case. So, um, but yeah, hopefully everything goes well. Um, yeah. Now, there was a great moment in the game that involved Andrew Fafita. Um, like nothing still, but I, I just I just kind of loved it watching it myself. Which is where there was, um, I think it was a Sharks player. I want to say Darren Woods, but I I don't think it was, but it was definitely an ex-origin like New South Wales player for for credit for that was playing for Cronulla 
Obviously, Andrew Fafita was there as well, who was standing captain during this incident. And then on the other end of Newcastle was actually David Clemmer, former New South Wales uh, player as well. And uh, I can't remember the actual circumstances, but then um, Andrew didn't like the decision, so he actually called it up to the uh, judiciary uh, for, for the, uh, what's it called, the, uh, the captain's challenge. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, and I, I think Andrew Johns was saying, okay, so sorry, who called the challenge? Andrew Fafita. Oh, is he captain? Oh, yes, he is. Oh, sorry, what? Who's the other player? Clemmer. And I was like, this should be good. <laughs> and, yeah, he watched the replay, and it was like the worst drop ball you've ever seen in your life. There's no hands anywhere, and I was like, this, this is the Andrew Fafita that we all love, you know. Uh, just the, you know, the craziness of like even calling a captain's challenge. To the, for the most basic situation, you know. So uh, yeah, yeah. So let's let, let let's hope. You know, he's 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 brought joy to a lot of people's lives, uh, Andrew. So so we we all wish him the best. Yeah, and I'm sure all of Tonga is supporting him as well. Obviously, we know what he did for that country uh, in its recent resurgence in the international scene. So okay. look, let's move on to the next news item. Now we're talking about another player or a player who uh, has also done lots for the game here in Australia, who is uh, is aiming to, well, will be ending his career very shortly. Uh, who are we talking about, Tish? We are talking about the great uh, James Maloney, the proven winner and an absolutely uh, stellar career. But James Maloney, who we haven't seen in, in the NRL for the last two years because he's over been he's over – He's been playing over in the Super League. And, uh, yeah, but he's called an end to his career. So, you know, he's the former Blues and Kangaroos playmaker. Um, and, you know, at the moment he is uh, with the Catalans, wh- who are coming first in the ladder, but he has announced that he is retiring at the end of the, the season. So Maloney, 35, um, has played over 300 matches in the NRL for the Melbourne Storm, the Warriors, the Roosters, the Sharks, the Panthers, and now Catalans, as well as 14... Um, origins for New South Wales and four tests for Australia. Um, Catalans currently sit on top of the ladder and Maloney is in the competition's leading point scorer for 172 points, uh, a feat he achieved in 2013, 2014 and 2015. So, yeah, so a, a bit of stats. Obviously, he's had 280 career games um, and, you know, he's been to the grand final, I believe, with the Warriors. Um, I think with the Storm as well, right? Uh, but not really active um, with that. Um, obviously, the Roosters and the Sharks, um, and he did, and I think he was in premiership winning sides for both of them. Um, mm. And then obviously part of the New South Wales team uh, that uh, sort of broke the streak. Um, and I think he was in two winning uh, New South Wales that have origin teams, if I'm not wrong. So, yeah, an absolute yep. stellar career, finally coming to an end. So, obviously, he also won the Dallium medal, um, you know, uh, for, oh no, Daily M five eighth at the end twenty sixteen, and I believe he also won, um, you know, paper fin defense of the year for about eleven <laughs> seasons as well. So what a remarkable achievement! What an absolute winner for a guy that uh, still needs to learn how to tackle. But well done, Andrew. Uh, James Maloney. Uh, so um, your your reflections on James Maloney? What were your thoughts overall? Oh look, you know, lately when we've we've been talking about. The, the Blues and and the Blues resurgence post that um, decade of dominance by the uh, uh, the Queenslanders, it's pretty much all down to James Maloney in terms of we've been looking for uh, we were looking for a um, 
a halfback or five eight that could sort of direct us around and and kind of do what needed to be done. And we struggled with various different combinations, but once Maloney was there, a proven winner, he sort of proved that um, you know it can be done. And and he's look he. He was there when the Warriors, as you said, Warriors made the grand final. He was there when the Roosters won. He was there when the Sharks won. He was there, um, you know, when uh, in the the latest resurgence of the Panthers uh, before he sort of moved on. So he was, he, he is has been such an important part. And at the moment, Catalans is in, on top of the ladder in the Super League over there. So, you know, he's been such an important kind of uh, character and important uh, role, played an important role in each of the clubs that he's been, uh, he's played with in his career. And especially when they've been at a point where they've been uh, con- premiership contenders, uh, he has on a couple of occasions been been that player that takes them all the way to premiership glory. And he's also been there, where they've been close, uh, and and uh, so you know he's he's just a, a winner uh, in the you know in the sense that like if you look at what his skill sets are, you you wouldn't sort of think oh he's not the best at kicking necessarily he's not the best at doing this he's not the quickest um he it's just the vibe <laughs> it's just everything about him mm. the way the way he directs. The calming influence he has, and when required, he he kind of he fires them up. Um, these are things that, when you add to the, you know, most missed tackles award that he keeps getting every every single year, you yeah. kind of think, what is it about James Maloney? Oh, the stats don't tell the picture, and and I think that's the thing about James Maloney is that the stats will not tell the picture. You know, in the future, people will, will not understand what how important a player like Maloney is. I would say it's fair to say that there's always been, you know, in every generation, a player like James Maloney who has just been an absolute underrated player and underrated mm. in the sense that, you know, in years from now, people will look back and the stats don't really tell the story of, of, uh, of what what it is that he how he influences. Uh, his teams and and how important that influence is, but the stats don't tell a lie in terms of the fact that he's been one of the few players that have tasted success with multiple clubs, uh, multiple premierships, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, it, he's that kind of a player that I think, uh, you know, when people who see him mm. know that once you've got him in your team, it's a stable. It's there's a stability there. Um, and he gets the job done and does what needs to be done, but he doesn't do it as a star player. So that's what yeah. I mean. Genuinely, when I say underrated, I don't mean it in a, um, you know, he wasn't deliberately underrated by the media or whatever. It's just he's a kind of person that just, you know, he instills success just by being good and workmanlike and and um well apart from the tackling situation but <laughs> yeah but generally but generally that's not what his role is is it it's his role is there to be the little general you know yeah. um i'm sure people will forget that you know you know there was a time there when ricky stewart and alan langer were not considered the best tacklers either <laughs> so yeah so you know let's let's not forget that so um yeah i think that's my view of james maloney i mean he's uh 
definitely, uh, especially for the Blues, was kind of very important in the, the latest resurgence under Brad Fittler. Um, but he was also there, I think. Was he also there when we won in 2014? Possibly not, but um, yeah, but he was, look, a, a great career. Um, as I said, underrated by some, but not by those who actually know rugby league. Uh, they'll know how important he was in every single team that tasted success with him as the number seven uh, or yeah. six, <laughs> whatever the case may be. So, yeah, yeah look, um, and, final and, thoughts. And look, I haven't seen every missed tackle he made, right? So I can't, I can't. But from what I do think about when you think think about replays and you see uh, Maloney missing a tackle, is that. Uh, he kind of missed them, but was still trying to tackle anyway. Like, like you know how sometimes you sort of see like a hand, um, or like the player would like you know run into the gap, and uh, and like sort of James Maloney's missed tackles was James Maloney attempted to make a tackle and he falls off because he doesn't have enough strength or something like that. You know, like I, I don't I don't necessarily recall him sort of not giving it his all. And he had this uh, quality, and this could be very similar to like. But I didn't really see it. But I, but I saw it in James where he had this audacity to, to to sort of like expecting that he'll take a high risk, he'll pull it off and he'll win no matter what the circumstance was. Um, you know, even if he'd thrown like 100 yeah. bad passes throughout the whole game, uh, he wouldn't be afraid in the 79th minute and 50, you know, and 50 seconds gone to throw um, the pass that could win the game. And he was able yeah. to pull it off. Yeah, and, right. He's a bit of a risk taker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it X factor. I mean, because I, I don't think it's it's that. But I think just the, I think the courage to try and do that type of thing, which you kind of don't see anymore. Like you do see teams that are sort of falling behind by two with a minute to play, uh, and they'll they'll be very conservative with the way they they sort of finish it off because they don't have the the James Maloney uh, audacity, if I could say that. Like, you know, just, yeah, yeah. you know, and uh, it, it's a really important quality. And I think it's a quality that kind of, that, um, you know, would, would work well in so many of these teams, particularly teams where you, you kind of see them on the losing end uh, a lot. And, and really, I think he was very integral to where the Panthers are at the moment because, I think they needed um, that type of elder statesman for a few seasons in their in their team that showed them how to win, even by not looking great, you know. And yeah. and 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 he kind of did that. And now you could see them sort of carry on that legacy. So, yeah, well done to a great career, James. And um, yeah, looking forward to to what uh, may lead, you know, hopefully some sort of involvement in in rugby league. So I think he's probably got a lot to give uh, back to to the game in terms of being able to like you know mentor some you know young French players and who knows we might see yeah. uh, we might see a bit of uh, you know he might be the uh, genesis of a new French way of playing the game. Absolutely, and look, yeah, what he's doing over there, if he can manage to get them across the line and win that first uh, premiership, that would be amazing. So there you have it, James Maloney. Courageous and underrated. Well done. <laughs> um, all right. The next news item <clears throat> is about another, yeah, slightly underrated player as well, in other ways, but very well known to those yeah. of you who grew up in the 1990s. Um, Mark Carroll is in the news. Spud Carroll. 
What's yes. happening? Well, yes, yeah, so NRL legend Mark Carroll has penned his life story in a new book, ladies and gentlemen, and it actually features a chapter written by rugby league immortal Bob Fulton. So the name of the book is called Spud, the Mark Carroll story, and uh, and it features many stories from his uh, from uh, you know Mark Carroll's life. Uh, so there is a chapter written um, by Bob Fulton. Um, there is a chapter that is written um, about the rivalry with Paul Harrigan, and then there and then straight after it's followed by another chapter written by Paul Harrigan on his point of view about the whole situation as well, uh, which I think is quite interesting. You know, you never really see uh, both ends of the rivalry uh, having their story, so um, which I think would be fascinating. But look, it's out uh, through Penguin. Um, uh, I think it's Penguin Publishing. Um, so I've got a bit of the what they have on the website. So basically, it says, "Look, the long overdue biography of Mark Spud Carroll is one of the most, you know, um, Carroll, who was one of the most fearsome players to ever lace the boots in the brutal world of rugby league. Mark Spud Carroll is one of the most fearsome players to ever." Well, sorry, I read that out again. Uh, so he was an enforcer who do everything, everything uh, in his power to ensure victory for his team, including a pre-game ritual where he ate sixteen potatoes. Uh, and that's why he got his nickname Spud. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So if you're ever wondering why do they call him Spud, that's. <laughs> That's why. I didn't realise that. I thought it was just maybe some kids at his high school thought he looked like a spud or something, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't think it was eating of potatoes before a game. That was very interesting. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, look, I think he did did make the comment to, you know, on a radio while promoting his book that, you know, Bob Fulton made him Mark Carroll, like, you know, the player that he is. So he sort of pays a lot of respect and he sees there's Hasler's role at Manly doing a very similar thing to some of the young players there. And uh, look, of course, you know, Mark Spud Carroll, the last time we actually saw him on television was actually on, um, you know, Channel 9's Current Affair, uh, <laughs> uh, where he was having a dispute when the when the whole lockdown started with the Sydney City Council, um, you know, as he, uh, you know, he owns a gym and he basically put all the gym equipment outdoors and basically, you know, what he said was, um, you know, I'm trying to make a dollar. I'm not the only person out there doing my best. You know, I can work. I can't work inside. I can work outside. So I made this a meter and a half from every spot. I followed every protocol. And I've even been told by the council to move along because of, you know, the three fair. So he was very upset. Um, so essentially what he did is he put all his gym equipment outside because he couldn't have patrons <laughs> working inside. And then he got fined by Sydney City Council and he was upset. So, you know, Mark Carroll, he is he is, he is quite a character for somebody to do that. Um, I did see him recently <laughs> earlier this year out of Fox Sports when I was talking about CTE. And, uh, yeah. you know, he, 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 he goes, look, I, I must be going crazy. I think I've got CTE in myself. So... A guy who's willing to self-diagnose himself on on television that he's got CTE, fighting with the government about coronavirus protocol, uh, eating sixteen potatoes. So he thinks that ritual will make his team win. Uh, I think everybody's got to go on out and read this book. It's going to be an absolute classic. Uh, You know, if they made a movie based on this book, Doctor T, who do you think could play Mark Carroll? Oh, that's a good question. 
Mm. Uh, like part of me thinks only Mark Carroll could play Mark Carroll. <laughs> maybe, maybe the maybe to just act as himself. But look, I'm wondering whether whether a beefed up, uh, artificially beefed up Keanu Reeves <laughs> could uh, <laughs> could. <laughs> I love know, it. Like I can just imagine <laughs> people ask, people ask you, "Hey, Mark, what what are you doing?" Eating all those potatoes before a match. We got a match on soon, and and he's just go. I I like potatoes, <laughs> you know, like something like that. I'm just in, I can't. I'm just I'm, I'm trying to channel a Keanu Reeves voice. Sorry, I can't do it. But look, um, uh, you know, I'm just trying know. to think. You know, when you go out to Coles, Woolworths, and you buy a five kilo bag of potatoes, I'm pretty sure there is less than sixteen in in five kilos, right? <laughs> right. Uh, like this is do we have any do we have any details about how we cook them (laughs) i because because if they're just like chips or something then yeah fair enough but if they're just boiled potatoes (laughs) and he just mushes them in his mouth (laughs) you know i I think this is why you need to buy the book um, there might be a recipe I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Look, yeah. look. Full disclosure, everyone. We have no, uh, we have no, no kickbacks at all from uh, this uh, promotion of this <laughs> this autobiography. We're not getting anything from it. But I am so intrigued by uh, some of these unanswered questions uh, about Mark Carroll. Very, very interested. But uh, yeah, Spud Carroll. I've never knew that it was a potato eating. <laughs> genesis of that nickname uh there you go look yeah look before we get too crazy we've still got more to get to so shall we move on tish to the second tackle you're right if we do that (laughs) yeah let's do that (laughs) all right here we go second tackle uh the round 22 wrap all right so we had uh, several interesting games that are going to spark a couple of uh, talking points later. Um, let's go. So Melbourne Storm 26-16 over the Canberra Raiders. The Panthers 34-16 over the Dragons. The Roosters 21-20 over the Broncos. Rabbitohs 36-6 over the Titans. The West Tigers 24-16 over the Cowboys. Manly fifty six to ten over my dreaded eels, and the Warriors twenty four ten over the Bulldogs, and finally the Knights sixteen fourteen in a very close one against the Sharks. Um, Tish, look, <laughs> highlights, lowlights uh, of of the round. What what caught your eye? Yeah, well, look, again, a very another a sort of intriguing round as you head towards the finals. Um, so I would say that obviously um, seeing the Tigers still in the fight, I think was very uh, is was was very key um, to the whole thing. Um, but look, I really enjoyed the the game that we called uh, that we talked about earlier, the sixteen fourteen Cronulla Sharks versus Newcastle Knights. Um, there was a while there I felt that Cronulla were on top for a long way, so. Um, to see the Newcastle Knights actually uh, win, come back from the victory was was kind of uh, was good to see. Uh, the thing about the Knights, which is kind of interesting, is if you actually go for their lineup, quite a number of Origin players. Obviously, they have Mitchell Pearce, they have Callum Ponga, 
Um, you know, they've got uh, you know, they've got quite a decent lineup as well. So um, even though they haven't had the best season, they did make it the finals last year. And you kind of think, well, they're sitting in seventh spot. I believe now they've kind of they're pretty safe. Um, they're the only one you know that's in sort sort of in with ten points. So I think if they keep on winning the next three games, I think they'll definitely be there. Um, so they're a team that if they can get past the first week of the finals, I think they can actually challenge some of the top teams just based on um, the experience they have in their in their lineup. But uh, we'll see. Um, yeah, so I thought that that was probably – and then, look, the Sharks, who were originally in the top eight when this round started, have fallen back into 10th spot and, uh, you know, are sort of a game behind some other teams that are on nine points to actually uh, to get that final eight spot. So I think in round 22, I think we have our top seven, and I think we've got one, two, three, four, five, six teams fighting for that final final spot. And, uh, yeah, whoever is going to take it out, like I thought Canberra could have uh, beat Melbourne, but Melbourne just came on board too, too strong. So I don't know how they're going to go. The Roosters were, you know, surprising how well the Broncos have been playing uh, to get to, to almost winning. So, yeah, and uh, look, uh, look, I, I probably know that you probably don't want to bring it up, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so... We have to. We have but, to talk but, about yeah, it. Uh, the wheels could be falling off uh, for Manly since, uh, you know, uh, Tommy Turbo might have got a cheekburn injury. Oh, well, you know, who knows? But like, no, obviously you're talking about the eels. Mm. Uh, the eels in the snakes and ladders game uh, sliding down the ladder. Mm. Um, and uh, unfortunately... Yeah, they uh, look at the moment. They're equal fifth with uh, the the Sea Eagles on the ladder. Uh, Roosters having sort of at the moment sitting uh, in fourth spot. Um, but look, out of those three teams, I think the Eels. I think it's fair to say that they they're less likely to win. Uh, so they'll they'll basically be fighting against whoever makes it into the seventh spot. Um, I think it's unlikely that they will um, – I don't think mathematically they can be overtaken at least from sixth spot. So, you know, here we were talking about the Eels a few weeks ago were coming fourth and now all of a sudden uh, are letting other teams overtake them. So we're definitely going to talk about why that is and, and some of the fallout of that. But, yeah, um, it just seems like at the moment they've just lost the plot, unfortunately, the Eels. Um, you know, usually we've seen them – go out in straight sets in the semifinals, but this time, you know, weeks before the semifinals uh, or the final series, sorry, they, um, yeah, not really showing any, uh, I don't know, they, it seems like they're not showing any motivation maybe, uh, or maybe they're just physically tired, who knows, but um, for a team that's within striking distance of a top four berth, um, and ha- in fact, had it in their hands and let it fall away. Uh, it's extremely disappointing, uh, disappointing as a fan. So, um, yeah, but yeah, the it, and it's not just the fact that they're losing games, but to lose fifty-six to ten to Manly, who are admittedly doing quite well and and probably at the moment are within a chance, you know, probably have a chance of. Um, you know, maybe if they do make that four spot, um, probably knocking over the Melbourne Storm if they keep improving the way they are. So, you know, they 
certainly they're on fire. But, um, you know, who knows? Could it be that the Eels have been unlucky to to match up against teams that have been on fire recently? Mm. Um, I don't know if that's the case. Uh, certainly time will tell in the next few weeks. But, um, yeah, very disappointing as an Eels fan. But looking at the ladder again, we've got, um, you know, quite a few teams still within a chance of getting that seventh and eighth spot. Um, you know, so everyone, every team from the Knights, Titans, Raiders, Sharks, Dragons, Warriors, and the West Tigers are within striking distance of that seventh and eighth spot. So uh, four, five, six, yeah, seven teams go into into eight, basically, or into two, two, um, two spots, I think, that are available for that. So, yeah, it remains to be seen. But look, Tish, um, any last thoughts on round uh, 22 before we move on? Yeah, let's move on, I think. Let's move on. All right. Tackle number three is the spotlight. And this time we are spotlighting Tommy Turbo. All right, Tish. Tommy Turbo, the question is, he is on fire at the moment and is he uh, is he the manly's answer to the Hain plane? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is he the 2021 version of the Hain plane? What do you think? Yeah, is Tommy Turbo uh, like, you know, the, uh, yeah, um, the Hain plane? Well, look, it is an interesting uh, situation. I've actually heard Laurie Daly talk about it, and maybe Andrew Jones want to talk about it too, but um, Brett Mullins had a kind of a, a similar sort of thing back in 95 or 96 where he basically became unstoppable, right? Um, and if if Brett Mullins was playing, then Canberra would win. Um, and if he wasn't playing, they they were not winning. And then Jared Hayne had the 2009 run, right, where it was sort of um, post-origin. Um, you know, he just became the most dangerous player uh, in the competition, and he just basically, you know, took took um, you know Parramatta, who was sort of um, uh, not even looking close to making it to the finals, to winning like seven or eight games straight, then winning all their final series matches and getting all the way to the grand final, uh, to eventually uh, come back at the grand final and almost win um, to uh, to a an illegal team by the Melbourne Storm. <laughs> On top of That's all right. of that, right? Don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so similar sort of thing to Manly. Manly were horrible uh, for the first five or six games of the season. Then they had a one-point victory against the Warriors, and I can't remember if Turbo had actually come back for that game or not. But then, you know, Turbo comes back from injury, Tommy Turbo, and he goes on, and Manly have looked like a uh, winning team, a premiership-winning team, ever since he's taken... Um, now, ever since he's sort of uh, landed at Manly, um, you know, sometimes when you watch him play, it f- feels like he is, uh, you know, an adult playing against under 10s, you know, <laughs> just doing everything yeah. quicker and more slicker than everybody else. Um, and look, let's not forget that he was, uh, you know, he kind of owned game one uh, of State of Origin this year. Um, you know, he had, uh, you know, I think all three games he he had a massive contribution and, um, you know, he, he was definitely the player that a lot of people would, uh, would sort of target 
And, you know, the most crazy thing about that is obviously he was playing in the centers. He wasn't even playing his preferred position of fullback. So, yeah, so is he is he Jared Hayne 2009? Well, I think he's slightly different for the, than Hayne, um, but I think he has the same sort of effect Jared Hayne had uh, on his team where it's not just man, not just Tom, you know, Tom Trevojevic who plays well for Manly, but the whole team seems to play well when he's there. And I think, he, yeah, he's got this ability to, to get the whole team going forward. Like you even see, you know, Daly Cherry Evans throwing 40 meter cutout passes and, um, you know, like, uh, you know, the uh, Kieran Foran, you know, he looked like a broken soul at the Bulldogs, right? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and now he is turned into like, uh, you know, an Iron Man of a player, right? Um what what is it like? So look now, sorry. Now I'm thinking about all these transformations, and I don't know. The word pet time cuts my head, which it shouldn't. <laughs> but I just, it, it's kind of amazing that uh, the transformation that Tommy Turbot has has given Manly. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'd say yeah, he he is a he's 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 having a Jared Hayne type run. I'd say um, I couldn't call it better because we we don't know the end story, but. I definitely think that it's on the same trajectory. What about your thoughts, Dr. T? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the thing with the Jared Hain 2009 miracle run was, I think, because they were kind of down and out and didn't, you know, it looked like they were going nowhere. And I think, yeah, there are parallels definitely to Manly. But I think what uh, what characterised the Jared Hain run was uh, the fact that, he managed to pull them out of um, pull victory out of thin air on several occasions with with some amazing kind of individual brilliance in those games in the semi-finals in particular in the lead up to mm. the grand final. So um, it remains to be seen what kind of an impact uh, Tommy will have on the the finals. Um, as I said, if if it's a case that um, that Manly does make it into the fourth spot, they will be almost certainly up against Melbourne Storm in that first week of the semifinals. And in that situation, I would say Manly, with the way that they're playing, uh, you know, they'd be looking to exploit, um, you know, no doubt the Storm will be a bit tired. I don't think they've lost a game for quite a while. Um, And so, you know, with every game that they continue to not lose – um, the, there's always that psychological thing about can they keep it up forever um, and eventually they'll hit a team that is on unstoppable and could be that Manly is that team this year and it could be that Tommy Turbo is the linchpin and the spearhead, I would say, of that, that team, just as how Jared Hayne was in 2009. So, you know, 12 years ago, um, you know, a completely different scenario and a completely different, uh, you know, situation, but some parallels with the way that they built up such momentum towards the end of the season heading into the finals they were absolutely on fire and uh you know who knows manly could be uh the uh that kind of could play that role this year and that would be very interesting um but yeah so well done tommy turbo we look with interest because i think if he can pull out the form that he he uh showed us in the state of origin series i think anything could happen so i think you might be seeing a manly that is going to steamroll its way uh, you know deep into the finals 
Um, and uh, yeah, especially if they're up against Melbourne, if they can defeat Melbourne and get that week off and then head into the grand final qualifiers, anything could happen. You just never know. Mm. So there you go. Um, final thoughts, Tish, before we move on? Well, I think uh, we'll be definitely probably talking more about Tommy Turbo as we get closer to the finals. And uh, yeah, let's hope he can keep himself healthy. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to tackle number four. And this time it's a spotlight on Brad Arthur. Here we go. It's uh, no uh, secret that I am a very passionate Parramatta Eels fan, and in many on many occasions I have defended Brad Arthur from the attacks that he's had to endure over uh, poor performances over the years in certain situations. Um, you know, however, and and so some of that those defences have been around the fact that look, they were a rabble before he he took over. And, uh, you know, there needed to be stability. When there was a salary cap scandal, he was there to kind of um, steady the ship, which was uh, was rocked heavily by that scandal. Um, and, you know, people were willing to sort of give him the benefit of the doubt when success didn't come straight away after that situation, when they had to offload players and, and you know, totally rock the club. Um, and... Having said that, though, uh, when you look at results, um, he's managed to get us to top four finishes a couple of times in the last few years. But on each of those occasions, we seem to be the first team knocked out of the uh, of the final series. So there's something about, you know, Brad Arthur doesn't quite is not quite able to get us over that um you know he's he can get us to the semi-finals. He can get us to be competitive, but when it counts, um, we we don't seem to be premiership contenders. And what's particularly worrisome is not just that we get we've gone out in straight sets. Is that there's been a pattern in the last few years where the Eels uh, have been flying high initially at the beginning of the season. Mm. Um, you know, sticking with the the premiership contenders, the leaders, and then. After State of Origin in particular, a massive drop-off happens, a massive slide. They just continue to lose the plot. Um, and and then uh, by the time the, the finals rolls around, they're not really showing, you know, any kind of sense of um, they've got, the, they've got the, the, the train back on the track. Um, and so that's a bit of a concern, and I can sort of explore that a little bit later. But I want to just get your first impressions, Tish. If you were the board of the Parramatta Eels, would you be giving Brad Arthur full confidence, meaning uh, you're going to sack him in a couple of weeks? Okay. Well, it is interesting because, um, yeah, I'm not too sure because, you know, there's been a lot. I feel like uh, everybody's turned on Parramatta. Um, and I kind of feel like the turn happened before the form started to, to, to slump, um, oh, yeah. right? You know, at the, at the start of the year, people were talking about, well, this is you know, Paramount, they're in a championship window. This is their, you know, they've got a great squad, you know, a premiership winning squad. They've got everything it takes, you know. But then now you hear sort of things as like, well, I never really thought that they had a, uh, a a winning squad, right? You know, people would say, oh, you know, if you actually go through their position, they've got lots of good players. 
but you know if you know top five fullbacks you know uh they don't have you know but he's a good fullback um you know top five halfbacks well that you know Mitchell Moses is not really in the top five but you know he's he's a good you know half so maybe they're they're a team that are that are close but they haven't got it you know and they start really analyzing this and then and then I think it I think it just gets into their head can I just say that like all the talk around them and yeah. and and I and I've got to say I started believing it for a little bit but I kind of now I know that uh, this kind of uh, fifty to whatever drubbing it was like uh, like you know uh, sort of happened this weekend but I kind of changed my mind uh, like about a week or two ago about Paramount and say no like I kind of don't care what people say out there maybe I'm just I don't, I'm not really a huge Parramatta supporter. They're not really uh, one of my like second or third favorite teams or anything like that. But I think people have to realize that just because you don't have like a good team is always going to beat a uh, a team of superstars. You know, a superstar team is always going to beat a, a team of superstars, and they do have it in them to be a, an absolutely awesome team. Um, you know, they won 15 straight last year or something like that. Um, they were winning the comp by a long way. And then they sort of dropped off um, this mm. year. They were well in there, and a lot of people f- felt that they were a very hard team to beat, and they were going to be a contender. And then they've sort of dropped off, right? But I think I think somebody has to show or remind Parramatta, like you know, forget what everybody's saying around you. Have a look at the 2005 West Tigers team, who had no players playing in state of origin, right? First team ever, and they win the premiership. Think about the Manly side that won with Matt Orford as the halfback, you know, not really playing origin or anything like that, but we're still able to make it throughout history. There have been teams, the Panthers of 2003, where they've come out of nowhere and actually won the comp. Um, and you don't necessarily need to have state of origin players to do it, but we get so analytical um, around the talk that I think it, I think the modern day players with access to so much information I think it gets into their head a bit too much, and I feel like that's kind of having Parramatta because the ability is there, like uh, the X factor is there. Like you've seen them win games that they should have lost just by turning around. You've seen them pull off amazing plays, and like it's not like I mean, yes, they have their injuries, but I don't think they have any serious major uh, injuries at the moment. I just think for whatever reason they just like not clicking, and now. Brad Arthur, he's a coach. Is he a psychologist? Does he need to be more of a psychologist? Um, you know, he's never gotten there. Maybe he doesn't know how to get there. Uh, but it's it's kind of like um, I think they need to sit down and think about this. Like, okay, we're not sure what we need to do to get there. But here's the thing, guys. If we could figure it out, right, and get past this hurdle, break the ceiling, right, that they've put them that that they've put on themselves. You know, once we've done that, you know, none of us will ever look back, you know. I think they're just hitting their potential and I think they could hit. There is another side to that. Uh, and I don't know what it is, but th- but they just, yeah, I don't know. They, I feel like they they just, uh, I think they can do it. I just don't, I don't, I don't know what it is that's, that's stopping them. But yeah, and, and then so obviously when you have a situation like this, you know, you sort of, sort of uh, go at the coach. So, you know, I propose maybe we do this. Dr. T, if you're on board, maybe, you know, if the board of the West Tigers is happy with this, you know, Madge has, <laughs> Madge has won a premiership, right? Brad Arthur has uh, has not taken it to a premiership, but he's gotten 
bad teams into the grand final, into the semifinals. So why don't we swap them around for the next few weeks? Get get Madge in there, right? Do you know what I mean? To coach the Pan, uh, Parramatta all the way to the finals and potentially win, break the uh, break the drought like he did for the Rabbitohs. And then in the meantime, let's get uh, let's get let's get Brad Arthur along with the West Tigers to get them into the finals. Do you know what I mean? Uh, why don't we do a a coach transfer? What what do you think would that work? Yeah, look, I mean, look, I I actually was thinking the same sort of thing that that I think if you look at, I'm sort of glad you mentioned that because I was going to sort of analyze from my perspective what um, Brad Arthur. Um, brings to the table and what what he lacks and certainly i wasn't i mean you know there's i think people who are who are talking about the squad and and them not being uh you know capable uh, are being ridiculous because clearly you know i mean are we forgetting all those backflips that that uh blake ferguson used to do like there was a time when we were absolutely on fire Mm. And and almost unbeatable, um, you know. And we were we were playing well. And and since then, a lot of stuff has happened. A lot of um, weaknesses have been exposed in our defence um, that haven't been filled up. And and I think there's there's been a lot of interesting uh, kind of um, analysis going on. Some intelligent, some most not so intelligent, <laughs> um, uh, where people have kind of tried to unpick what's going on and and. Is it is it Brad Arthur's fault? Is he accountable as a head coach for what's been happening? And look, in my view, it, what's he is accountable, um, and they've given him plenty of chances, and he hasn't really delivered what we want him to deliver. Um, and and part of the reason is, I think, uh, especially this year and last year, and, and last let's just say three years, the pattern that we're seeing where Parramatta starts off really well and then tapers off. Part of that is is to do with um, the one-dimensional nature of their attack. Um, and mm. I think at the beginning of the season, you can have, you know, you start off with fresh ideas, fresh set plays, different sort of things. Eventually, if it's too one-dimensional, uh, teams will start to notice and then, and then kind of adjust their defense and adjust their attack accordingly uh, in the latter half of the year as the, the season progresses. If you don't have the ability to switch things up and keep things interesting and, and uh, you know, uh, anticipate where your, def- your opposition will, uh, you know, exploit your weaknesses, then you're going to end up in a situation quite regularly where teams will just, you know, get the wood on you and then understand how to beat you and then, and then that's it. it. It's your your tricks are no longer uh, you know novel to them, mm. and and so that's part of the problem. And I think that that purely rests on the head coach. Now I've said to you before, Tisha. I think ironically, this is where they need to revive the spirit of the two thousand nine Eels with Jared Hayne, uh, in the sense that what what got them over the line at the time and what got them to where they, they were within minutes of winning a premiership um, was uh, the sort of the, the ad hoc free flowing um, unstructured play, especially in attack uh, that, that really got defenses on the back foot um, had them second guessing and more importantly, just got points on the board 
and they're not getting that at the moment. And that if you can't get that, it it's very hard to have a strong defense when you know that you you're struggling to get the points that you used to get so easily uh, earlier in the season. So I think putting all that together. The other the other aspect is as a coach overall, I think it's very clear that as I said earlier that part of what why he's been given many chances at Parramatta is that he he had that that kind of stability. He brought that stability just as like we were talking about James Maloney bringing that stability to the team. But the thing with the stability is I think what he's done is he's had to on two occasions rebuild the Eels squad once when he took over when it was a rabble and the second time when uh the uh, it was decimated by by the scandal and they had to kind of start again and Brad Arthur on both of those occasions showed that he is the kind of coach that is able to is he's a kind of a re, if you want to rebuild your club and your squad bring Brad Arthur in because he'll be able to uh, focus on the things that matter to get the team to be, uh, you know, competitive. However, you mentioned Michael Maguire, uh, uh, Maguire um, you know, Madge, as they call him. He mm. he has a different kind of skill set. I think he's struggling at the moment with the Tigers because they seem to be perpetually in rebuilding mode. <laughs> and, and that's not where his skills lie. I think his skills lie in getting the best out of a high-performing team already mm. and so this is what happened with the Rabbitohs is that a lot of expectations came with the Rabbitohs they had the 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 raw ingredients there they just needed to bring it together and get the win and get the the premiership which is what he was able to get them to do he did the same thing over in the UK in their Super League and and I think uh, this is why he's struggling at the Tigers because they are not a team that is uh, they were, they're a team that are, are aiming to get into the top eight Whereas what he should be doing is his best uh, skills and value could be applied to a team that is within striking distance of the top Mm. and just needs to get the best out of their good players. Um, And I think I actually thought about this independently during the week that ultimately it would be good to have a transfer of the coaches. Mm. Uh, That would be the the best outcome for both our teams, the Tigers and the Eels. But... um, you know, in the event that that doesn't happen, then I think the next best thing that needs to happen for the Eels is they need to part ways with Brad Arthur and get someone who who actually uh, you know can can deliver uh, you know the premiership. And look, Wayne Bennett potentially <laughs> may be looking for work. I don't know. Mm. I wonder if they should uh, pull pull all stops to get Wayne Bennett because Wayne Bennett's got a similar style, I think, as uh, Maguire uh, in the sense that. His skill set lies in getting the most out of really high-performing players that are that just need that little bit of ten percent extra or fifteen percent extra to get from competitive to premiership contenders and winners ultimately. So, look, that's my my view. I will let you have the final word because I've ranted a bit, but yeah, my view is I kind of agree with you, and I think um, the Eels should look elsewhere. Uh, maybe not until the end of this season. I think it would be too harsh to do it right now. But I think, um, yeah, there. I think a lot of fans, unfortunately, are kind of writing off the eels at the moment. Um, final words? Well, look, final words is um, there. I suppose the other person to think about is Shane Flanagan, um, you know, a premiership winner mm-hmm. at the Sharks. 
available, I suppose, at the moment as a consultant. Um, and I did see him uh, on a on a Fox game, um, really having a chat to um, to to some of the Parramatta players. That, you know, like they're like, "Oh, Mitchell, I'm a, I've always been a big fan of yours. You know that, right?" It's like, "Oh, yeah, I know that," and I know that Shane. And they're like, I'm "Like, what is he doing? Is he actually like going for like a job there? Like, you know, like just the way he was interviewing him." So I feel like Shane Flanagan is is there, but like I think if they could get yeah some sort of um, I think they just need to have. Um, yeah, something in their head, like yeah, we're sort of saying it's it is to do something along with the way they sort of think about the game and so forth. So whether it involves getting more, um, you know, more players involved, um, like ex players involved, um, you know, maybe still has been a bit of a bit angry, so maybe he may not be the best fit, but maybe a Brett Kenny. <laughs> You know, <laughs> or so, so, something like that. You know, um, I, I think they do need something like that because I, th- I think there is something that uh, that that's probably going to take him to another level. And um, and I, and but I, but I think the talent is there. And I think even I think Brad himself is a great coach. Um, but just putting it together, if if they could figure it out, I think then you know, um, put it this way: if they make it to the grand final this year, I think they they're a team that could win it. If they end up winning it, um, I don't see why not. They can't have a legacy of success um, because, you know, there are times where they are unstoppable. They really are. And um, teams are scared to play them. And you can see that on the ground. You know, when they're, when they're playing at their best, uh, you know, nobody wants to tackle Sevo, right? Nobody wants to tackle <laughs> their big front rollers, right? You know, um, nobody, you know, when, when Mitchell Moses and, um, you know, and Smith are, uh, you know, are sort of going... Uh, you know, going well. It's 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 really great to watch. So, yeah, let's let's just hope that they could get there. I think, um, you know, uh, we want to see the Eels make it to the finals, and we want to to see them playing at their best in the finals, so that ultimately we have an absolutely great final series. So, um, they've got three games to go. Let's see them turn it turn it around. All right, let's move on to tackle number five. This is league around the world. Here we go. Right, league around the world. We thought we'd take up a bit of a discussion about the post uh, rugby league World Cup postponement situation, uh, and the question I'm posing, Tish, is where to now for European rugby league? So you know, we were set to have this huge tournament, the biggest World Cup that we've ever had. It was going to be a financial success, uh, and it had a lot of great things going for it. It was very well organised. A lot of promotion, etc., and then COVID hit, and and uh, unfortunately, uh, with Australia New Zealand uh, signalling their intention recently to not play in that tournament, it put the organisers into a, a conundrum where they needed to decide: do they go ahead without two of the best teams in the world, or do they postpone it to next year? Ultimately, they decided to postpone it to next year, and what that means is we've now got a situation where. Um, you know, locally, New South Wales, sorry, New Zealand and Australia were talking about having a test match to kind of cap off the season here uh, to the extent that they can do it with the lockdowns and, and all that situation. So to the extent that they could do it, um, you know, majority of players, uh, at least the locally based players, 
uh, all in kind of a bubble at the moment in Queensland in various different places. So it is absolutely achievable and feasible to organise a test match between Australia and New Zealand, especially considering that most of their top players are playing in the NRL. Um, But where does that leave Europe? Where does that leave what's happening over there? Is anything happening over there? I'm not sure if anything has been happening, but I thought I'd raise that question to you. If you, uh, Tish, let's just say where the, you know, you're running the uh, International Rugby League IRL, and you have a vacancy now, some some gaps in, in a, a few weeks in uh, the end of this season, at the end of this year, sorry, after the UK Super League is, is done and dusted and, and all that kind of thing, where you would have had your World Cup, um, you've got a bit of a gap uh, in the international scene. And obviously the majority of kind of European-based players are playing over there. Um, and you, I guess the suggestion is what if they were to quickly cobble together a, a big kind of European Cup tournament uh, with, which would promote the game to you know other um, nations who missed out on the World Cup. So obviously a European tournament would have more representation of European teams. You're not limited by uh, by the the fact that you've got a limited number of teams in the World Cup. Uh, you could potentially play it all in one kind of a uh, bit of like a magic kind of month. Uh, do it all in one area, maybe in in the UK, just like they hosted the uh, majority of the um, the the recent European soccer championships. So I'm putting it to you, Tish. What do you think needs to be done, or what could be done uh, to to take advantage of of a, an unfortunate situation over there? Yeah. Well, um, look, I, I think I think. Well, I think uh, the main thing with Europe at the moment, uh, I'm having a look at, at what sort of news is out there and what that we are talking about is ha- having a test match in Canada, uh, which uh, which is kind of like back to the drawing board, right? Let's go back to t- Toronto. Mm. It's like the major feature every time there is a, some sort of international talk. But look, I think I think you're probably not going to – it's probably unlikely you're going to get any Australian slash New Zealand players over there. So I think what they probably need to do is, obviously, I kind of feel like, um, you know, if you aside from England, France, uh, you know, Scotland, Ireland, um, and sort of even the Mediterranean nations, and, you know, obviously we've got, like, you know, some Turkish representation and some of these European teams that aren't, might not be very strong uh, individually, but I think if you put them together, that could be quite a strong team. So either having a tournament with them, sort of all representing their uh, micro nations for a little bit, um, and then building up towards a combined team, then that can play. So you could call it the EU uh, versus England, right? Um, mm. Very topical, and I think you know that way. You know, sort of Italian players and Greek players, um, you know, that sort of have that sort of you know can get in from a heritage ramp but obviously have like a uh you know a his you know obviously have uh you know uh played in the nrl played in, and, and and also played in the super league you combine that with sort of some some of the french based players you know you got aiden caesar from turkey put him in you know i think you can actually build a, a good team obviously blake austin uh representing port you know portugal and the, the portuguese empire um 
you know, I think doing something like that could actually be strong because I think with, um, you know, the, the big heavyweights are obviously, uh, you know, Australia, New Zealand, England and Tonga. Um, and I think uh, with Australia, New Zealand and Tonga all sort of being Southern Hemisphere based, um, you know, I think they will get some very strong competition amongst themselves. Um, but I really fear more from, from an England point of view. Um, and I think they need to get strong competition. So if they could somehow play against a combined European uh, squad, um, I think that would be good. I mean, they could even have the uh, what's in the, the the European anthem, the European Union anthem, whatever they have that as well. Like you know, Frere uh, Zaka. I don't know what that is, but, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, does it have know? a European anthem? It's I have no idea. It's probably think, a, is it. Is it a DJ Tiesto song? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, the, what was that famous uh, 90s techno song that was from like Ace of Base or something like that? <laughs> okay. Or like why, don't they just do, why don't they just do Right Said Fred, I'm Too Sexy? I think that that would be. <laughs> no, look. Um, and I don't know if anybody's ever thought about it, but like, you know, doing that, uh, it could, um, we could have the uh, sort of the, the, uh, the, the the tournament winner of uh, Britain's Got Talent sing the anthem for uh, England, and you could also have the Eurovision champions sing the European <laughs> anthem. Like, like you know, we're like we were going to have this World Cup. Uh, it's not. It's been postponed. We need. It needs to be star started. I'd say. So if they could do something like that, I think it would be very good uh, to do that. Um, you know, uh, if we could make it uh, carbon neutral, I know that Greta Thunberg and her supporters will get behind it too. Um, so, like, I think let's do it. Let's let's get into and can they play this in October? Let's let's do it in Germany as you know celebration for Oktoberfest. Can we can we make that happen? That's a good idea. Uh, yeah, look, I, I, I look some good ideas there, Tish. I think that uh, a European like a revamped European kind of cup championship tournament. Uh, I know they've got a process where you've, they've got a Euro cup, but I think they should just start from scratch and get all the teams, as many teams as possible uh, into a tournament, uh, you know, and, and just let them, uh, let them play for a few weeks. Uh, you know, the usual typical situation, organize groups, get, um, you know, get the the semi-finals sorted out quarterfinals semi-finals whatever um i think something that gives a bit of a teaser uh for next year and and get some of these teams uh that you know get them to at least play each other i mean that's part of the problem is that there's no real foresight given to getting these teams to play each other and give exposure to each other in terms of how they're playing um you know at the international level i mean so yeah, I mean, a star-studded kind of, you know, European uh, all-stars team might work. Um, but I think in this case, because I think we want to build the game in all these individual countries and to have to have them represented as their own countries would be ideal because, um, you know, it'll it'll spark interest for next year for sure. So um, anyway, that's that's my take on that. Shall we, we move on? We call it the Rugby League oh, World Cup Tapas. The yeah, Tapas the, Cup. The Tapas, yeah. A taste of what is to come, you know, the paella that is the Rugby League World Cup. That's a good idea. I mean, why not? Why not? Um, 
Yeah, yeah. But but here's the other thing is, you know, there's always yeah, you've heard of cups, you've heard of trophies, you've heard of pennants, you know, you've heard of uh, you know, shields. But what about something different? Like they could play for something different. Or, or we've heard of urns, sorry, in cricket, mm. the ashes. What about we do something different? So, you know, one thing that they could do is the uh, take inspiration from the Dan Brown novels and 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 have the teams fighting for the chalice. Wow. I the love golden it. chalice. I like it. What do you it. reckon? Uh, I, yeah, I think that is... That is great. Uh, and, I mean, it'd be uh, pretty small, but at the end of the day, after yeah. they hoist it up and and say, "Yay, we're the Euro champions," uh, they could they could drink from it, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> why not? Uh, uh, although you have to be COVID safe, so I think only one person per team. Look, I'll, uh, I'll say, I'll say, as, as long as it doesn't uh, spark another crusade. To the oh no, land. no, no! Yeah, that's not no. Let's not go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all right. Any last words on uh, what Europe can do to salvage the situation? Well, look, I think, I, th- I think just uh, going with you and I's ideas will be enough to get it all started again. So yeah, <laughs> that's right. Listen to us. We've got some good ideas. <laughs> we promise. All right. <laughs> um. All right. Let's move on to the final tackle which is the tips for round 23. Here we go. All right. So, oh, last last round I got eight out of eight. That's unusual. Yeah. Uh, and you got Probably. six out of eight. So I've gone a little bit further ahead. So 111 versus 104 at the moment. Still plenty of time to catch up, Tish. Three, and yeah. three rounds, maybe. Maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Well, dep- well we, might, we might continue the tips all the way through uh, to the grand final as well. So there is still a chance. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's go with uh, round 23. So Titans versus Storm. Um, look, I think. The Titans have been playing well, but I think the Storm still too good. Yeah, look, uh, Storm for mine. Canberra versus Manly, a repeat of the 1987 Grand Final, and I think Manly will win this one too. Yeah, um, Turbo is playing, so Manly will win. (laughs) (laughs) Nice and easy. Panthers versus Rabbitohs. Now, this is an interesting one because if the Rabbitohs win this one, they get into second place. And within striking distance of uh, the minor premiership, so I'm actually going to tip the Rabbitohs in this one. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Panthers. I think the Panthers will win. Um, I did hear that that uh, so both of these teams already know they're going to play each other because they kind of feel that Melbourne's going to be the premier. So there might be a bit of um, showmanship in terms of how they go about this game. So, but look, I think Panthers for mine. All right, Tigers versus Sharks, and look, Tigers have to win this game if they're to keep up with uh, the the seventh and eighth spot race, and I think they'll do that. I think the Tigers will, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Sharks are a little bit rocked with what's happened with Andrew Fafita, and uh, that's not the main reason I'm going for the Tigers. I think they're just got going to have a little bit more motivation to win this one. Yeah, I don't think they were 100% happy with their performance last week, the Tigers, so I'm going to tip them to bounce back a little bit. Um, and uh, But it should be a good game, these two teams, yeah. Absolutely. Bulldogs and Knights, um, the the David Clemmer Cup. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of, well, there's plenty of players that have played for both. But yeah. Yeah. Um, look, I think the Knights will win this one quite easily as well. Yeah. Look, I, I'm going to tip the Knights as well. I mean, it's really hard to pick the Bulldogs to win any more games in the rest of the season, I'll be honest. So, mm. so the Knights for me in this one. Eels versus Cowboys, and look, despite everything I just said about Brad Arthur, I'm tipping the Eels in this one. I think they will bounce back, and I think losing 56-10 to Manly and having see them overtake you on the on the ladder, I think it's going to be a bit of a wake-up call, and it will inspire – I think it will inspire this team to kind of give a bit more effort next next game. And not just that, I think um, everything I said about tactically the weaknesses that they've got where they haven't really, the two one-dimensional, that kind of thing, I think maybe somewhere someone will, will, a little birdie will speak into Brad Arthur's ear and just say, mate, throw the playbook out, let them run rampant because that's where they do best. So I think potentially that resurgence will start this weekend. So eels for mine. Okay, so the perfect antidote to sort of get your season back going is to play a team that has lost nine straight, which is the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> so I think on that basis, we're going to tip the Eels. Um, but it would be interesting how they handle this game. I, I, I've got to say it. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's not forget the Eels have lost like three straight. So it's not, you know, or whatever it is. So it's, uh, you know, we can match it with them almost. Um, Dragons versus Roosters. I think the Roosters, again, they'll be too strong. Um, they'll be trying to do everything they can to fight off Manly, uh, trying to get that fourth spot. Yeah. Look, they went very, very close to losing to the Broncos last week. And mm. the Dragons are now at full strength after their rounds of suspensions. So I'm going to tip the Dragons. I think the Dragons really need to win this game, and I think they'll be a lot more uh, fiery than what the um, – that I think they, they performed quite well against them earlier in the season too, so I think the Dragons are mine in this one. All right, and finally, the Broncos and the Warriors. Um, I think the Warriors, as I said, they are the dark horse at the moment. They are on uh, – let me just have a look. Well, they're – they're coming officially 12th, but they are on uh, 18 points. So they're, they're two points away from eighth position, which is held by the Titans at the moment. And I think um, they've got enough firepower to, to win it. I think they've, they're, they're the most likely, you know, in the last few games, they're the most, the team most likely to capitulate and just, you know, um, not, not give up, but capitulate in the sense that they've, it's just, so they've been carrying the weight of so much over the last two years that you can kind of forgive them for kind of, um, you know, collapsing at the final hurdle, so to speak. But they've got a lot of resilience. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do and whether they can fight for that eighth spot. And I believe that they, by winning this game, um, I think they will uh, get closer to getting there. So, yeah, for mine, the all-important two points that they need to get. The Warriors will defeat the Broncos. Yeah, look, I was just about to go against you and maybe tip Brisbane, but I'm going to tip the Warriors uh, <laughs> as I could see. Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure about some of their decisions on who they've chosen. I feel like they've gone back to Brody Croft and Anthony Milford, um, which is, which is you know, the... the uh, yeah, I think I think... 
he's. I think Kevin Walters has been improving um, the Broncos ever so slowly, but uh, I kind of feel like the merry-go-round of halfbacks is uh, is not is not the best thing for them. So so let's. Mm. So yeah, I'm going to tip the Warriors because I think yeah, uh, the Warriors have a lot to play for really. And uh, and it, look, here's the thing: even when uh, yeah, as you said, adversity. Uh, yeah, adversity seems to strengthen them a little bit, so that's 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 good. So let's see how they go. So I think the Warriors for mine. Uh, in yeah, in in again, probably something that will be a very close game. I I, I predict. Yeah, I agree. Um, and look, that's it. That's it for the six tackles today. Thank you very much. Tish, it's been a jam-packed one. Always good to talk about the eels and how terrible they are. Um, <laughs> always, always gets me uh, gets me going for the next game. But but look, there is hope, they, Doctor T. There is there, is there is hope. Hope is out there. Um, you know, so hopefully someone can save us. Um, but Luke Skywalker, <laughs> that's right. Luke Skywalker will come hope. in at the end and save the day. Um, look. Thanks very much, everyone else, for listening, and uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. Look forward to the footy on the weekend, and hopefully your team can turn it around, just like the, my team can. Hopefully, mm. um, but yeah, Tish, over to you to wrap this one up. Well, that's all for this episode of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Tish and Doctor T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now. 